If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up to John chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 37 through 47. As Jesus has just explained to the crowd that the truth will set them free. And then comes a little bit of unpleasantness on the heels of that statement by Jesus. So I'll back up to 34 so that you have a little better context for the passage. Uh, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works that your father did. And they answered to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies." But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Lord, thank you for your mercies in giving us this word. Giving us this somewhat hard word and perhaps for some of us, slightly scary word, wondering which person is our father. And Lord, I ask that you would just continue to illuminate our minds and show us the truth of you and who you are and who we are in this passage. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, use me to clearly explain the difference between Father of lies and the Father of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this passage here and Jesus coming on the heels of saying that he's telling the truth and then now gets into this whole subject of Abraham's offspring and whose offspring are you and which offspring is is who, it's like a spiritual genealogy of sorts. And Jesus draws a distinction between those who have genetically descended from Abraham right, and those who have imitated Abraham's faith and walk with God. So here Jesus clearly says 
Just being Abraham's genetic descendant is not enough to be saved. If you want to be a part of the promise, you must also imitate the faith of Abraham. Now, this is probably earth-shattering, mind-boggling for these guys. A lot of them are just like, they have no way of comprehending that what they do each day and practices in the temple is not somehow imitating the faith of Abraham. So Jesus goes on to explain a little further in that it's not the genes of Abraham that makes someone an inheritor of Abraham's promise. It's that walking in the same faith with God as Abraham did. That's what makes one Abraham's seed or offspring. And of course, the problem for these guys isn't just that they are outside the promise, right? It's a bad thing, right? It's like being outside the walls of the city and stuck outside in the open air instead of being able to be inside the city and go into a house. It's bad enough that they are outside the promise. But Jesus goes even further to point out to them that their plight is far worse than just being in a semi-neutral place of outside the promise. They are actively opposing God by rejecting his son. So by rejecting Jesus, they now move into a whole new category than just someone who is not practicing and imitating the faith of Abraham. They even go so far as not just to reject Jesus' words, they're also trying to kill him. This is the Son of God and you're trying to kill him? Why do you want to kill the Son of God? Because he's claiming to be the Son of God. And we can't have that in our temple. So all of this causes them to be more like the Canaanites of Genesis than like the Abraham of Genesis. Think about that for a second. If you're familiar with the Bible, you've read Genesis and you've read what God has to say in Genesis chapter 15 and 16 and 19 to Abraham about the inheritance of the land and the time of the Canaanites' sin has not come to full fruition yet. It's going to take another 400 years for that to happen. And you're acting more like the Canaanites of Genesis than Abraham of Genesis? That's a heavy claim. I mean, that's a heavy accusation because they did some pretty bad stuff. Okay. Look, the Canaanites in Genesis did really bad things. They were bad people. Right? If you remember the movie True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger, have you ever killed anybody? Yes, but they were all bad. <laughs> it's the Canaanites. They're, they're bad. They do really bad things. You don't want to be a Canaanite. You don't want to even think about acting like a Canaanite acts. But that's where they've gone. Then Jesus makes it even more explicit about what their situation is by explaining to them who they are. These are identity statements. This isn't just you've done a bad thing. You've done a bad thing because you have bad seed inside of you. In verses 41 through 43, he starts talking about the works of the Father. Because here, 
Jesus separates the children of the promise from the children of the curse. This language that he's using here that John's recording is very, very, very similar to the separation of the sheep and goats in Matthew. The separating out of those who are of God and those who are not of God. And the problem is, is there's no middle ground, right? There's no, there's no third place that's kind of neutral where you're not a child of God, but you're not a child of the devil either. You're just something in between. Jesus doesn't give a middle ground here. He just says there's either children of God or children of the devil, the children of the curse. And that's a scary thought. No, that has larger implications. And the whole question of, you know, can God actually send people to hell? Would he actually do that? How could a loving God do that? And those are fair questions to want to answer. But I'm sorry, I won't answer those today. I'll do that another time. The point here, the thing we have to focus with and wrestle with is this very idea that there's only two categories, children of God and children of the devil. When we really get right down to it, the really, we just want to know which one are we. I just want to know which one am I. So I'm assuming you want to know which one you are, right? I mean, how, how do I know when someone's an offspring of God or the offspring of the devil? I mean, it's not just, I want, you know, first I want to know which one I am. I know which one I want to be. I know which one I don't want to be. But then how do I know when someone else, which one they are? Here's the glorious, beautiful, we can rest moment. Jesus tells us how we can know which one we are and which one someone else is. Right? Jesus here and in other places list out a few things that help us. First is, do they love Jesus or disrespect Jesus? He says it right there. If you were of my father, you would listen to my words and love me. But instead, you hate me and are trying to kill me. So the first question we ask is, do I love Jesus or do I disrespect Jesus? Does someone I'm looking at, do they love Jesus or disrespect Jesus? The other question is the one that Jesus lists here in other places as well. More specifically in chapters 15 and 16, does Jesus' word abide in me? Does Jesus' word abide in them? And then last, the third one, I don't want to say last because there are other, other criteria we could add to this. Do they love their brothers and sisters in Christ? 1 John 1, 8 through 11 in chapter 3. 11 through 15. Actually, I think I'm just going to, I wasn't planning to, but I'm going to read those to you. Of course, the problem with wanting to read 1 John is you got to find it. So 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective, unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to conform your calling and election 
For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what he's referring to is those qualities listed starting in verse 5, through 5 and 6 and 7. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Then in chapter 3, verses 11 through 15, John says these words. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort whoops, would help to get in First John? There we go. First John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Well, I guess I should go back and read 1 John chapter 1, 8 through 11, seeing how I actually read from 1 Peter. (laughs) But it still fits, which shows the continuity of God's word and how John just wasn't out there as a lone cowboy speaking his own ideas, right? But for the benefit of all of us, because (laughs) I obviously need larger print in my Bible. That big, gigantic 25 print that says First Peter wasn't big enough. Verse 8 of chapter 1 in First John. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother... Oh, wait. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What are the characteristics? Do we love Jesus or do we disrespect Jesus? Does Jesus' word abide in us? And do we love our brothers and sisters? You can, if you answer those questions, you know whose child you are. You know which offspring you belong to. Then here in verses 44 through 47, Jesus addresses this subject above the children of the devil. You know, I should pause at this moment. You realize that when John writes 1 John, he, it hasn't been that long since he wrote the Gospel of John. It hasn't been that long since he wrote Revelation. They're all close together within a few years of each other. So everything that we read in the Gospel of John is, I'll use the word fresh, 
in John's mind as he's writing 1 John. But he also has the experience of his time on Patmos and the isolation from it as part of the background, and the not the background, but the backdrop to what he's writing in 1 and 2 John. Here in verses 44 through 47, children of the devil, Jesus, Jesus accuses the Jews of the unthinkable. The unthinkable. We, descendants of Abraham, are actually descendants of Cain? Are you kidding me? You got to be kidding me. You wouldn't even dare say it. But he did. Because he's telling them the truth. If God were your father, you would love me. I started in verse 42. I came from God and I am here. And I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. He's a liar. Because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Therefore, whoever cannot hear my words is because you are not of God. That's a little scary. And I'm working through this and I know this may come as a surprise to you, but I'm working through this and I'm going, which one am I? I actually had that thought. Which one am I? Now, of course, it didn't last very long because the spirit in his kindness and mercy reiterated and reinforced to me which one I am. Children reflect the character of their father. The Jews want to claim that Abraham is their father, but as Jesus is showing them, they do not reflect Abraham's character. Whose character are we reflecting? The character they are reflecting here by wanting to kill Jesus and rejecting all of his words is contradictory to Abraham. So their claim to be descendants of Abraham is a lie. This is part of why Jesus brings the whole lying aspect into this passage. Here in these verses, it's a lie. Okay, it's a lie. It's not a half-truth or a partial true thing. It's a lie for them to stand there in the temple. Because remember, they're standing. this is happening right there in the temple, in the court of women. Or maybe the court of Gentiles. They're standing there in the temple on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. They've just spent eight days commemorating and celebrating the time of Israel in the wilderness and God's provision for them through the cloud of pillar, fire and the cloud and light and his provision for them with water from the rock. All this stuff, you know, 
everything about their time in the wilderness and God's provisions for them. They've just finished celebrating that. And for them to stand there having done all those things, claiming to be Abraham's seed while rejecting Jesus, calling him names and seeking to kill him. It's a lie for them to say they are Abraham's seed. It's a lie. To behave in such a way as to be children of Canaan and not of Abraham. They're living a lie. They're literally living a lie as they stand there in the temple that day. Of course, the problem with living a lie is living the lie doesn't stop just because they leave the temple. It keeps going. Right? Whenever we live a lie, it just keeps going until it can't go any further and then usually very bad things happen. Really bad things happen. So, kind of brings us to this moment of it's kind of sobering to listen to Jesus say all these things to these people. But when we read it, he's saying it to us or at least for us to think about. And I know maybe some of you at this point are wondering, am I a child of the devil? I don't want to be, but what if it's in my blood? What if it's just in my blood to be a child of the devil? Or, or maybe you're thinking, well, I do some of those three things that I mentioned from earlier, but I don't do any of them really well. Does that make me a child of the devil? See, there's, there's a difference. And this is where the lies of, the, of Satan start to creep in. There is a difference between salvation and sanctification. Right? Salvation is an event. You and I, we go from light to dark, from not caring about God to loving Jesus. We are transformed by the Holy Spirit. Sanctification is a process. If you don't believe it, just ask my wife. She will testify that this person is me, is in process of becoming more like Jesus. Some days I do pretty good. And then some days I kind of act like the devil. It's the process. And growing in Christ's likeness as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit work out the old ways of thinking in our minds and expose the lies we believe that need to be eradicated. Okay, I'm going to tell you something. You may not like it. You may snarl your lips up at me. That's okay. I don't bother. It doesn't bother me. I don't care how long you've known Jesus as your Savior, and I don't care how long you've been walking with God, there are some lies you still believe about yourself and about our Father and our Savior. Now, they aren't, you know, the unforgivable blasphemy sin lies, but there's enough there to keep you from being who God created you to be. 
And it takes a lifetime of sanctification to work those lies out of our hearts and minds. And they have to be exposed. And exposing them is not easy and it's not fun. You may also be thinking, as I have thought, well, what about falling for lies of the devil? Does that make me one of his children instead of God's child? No, no, it doesn't. Being fed a lie by the devil and falling for it does not make you one of his children. It makes you one of his captives. A captive is by the very nature not one of them. The part about lies that make you a child of the devil is to hate Jesus and to talk about being a good light. Those are the children of the devil. The ones who claim to be, talk about light and talk about goodness and light, but they hate Jesus. The other part that makes you a child of the devil is for when someone intentionally leads people away from Jesus and leads them to deny Jesus is God's only son. That is one of the best indicators you're dealing with a child of the devil. They deny the deity of Christ and they try to convince you to deny it as well. When you hear that, know you're dealing with a child of the devil and react accordingly. Whether it's walk away, confront them with the truth of God, or both. I really want to emphasize this because I hear so many times people who struggle to believe they really are children of God. And I'm looking at them and I'm going, you love Jesus. You love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You abiding in his word. You, all the evidence is there that you really are a child of God. But yet you're still, you're still struggling with believing that it's true that you are one of his and you don't belong to the devil. I understand that. I fought that fight for 20 years. 20 years. I, I, I know what it feels like. I may not know what you are feeling exactly, but I know that feeling. It's why I I, I have such, such animosity for the lies of the devil and the lies that we believe from him. That's why I, I talk about, you know, fighting against the lies and not believing the lies every week when I stand here before you. I know what those feelings are like. I know what it's like to wrestle with those lies. And, and every time you think you've put a nail in it, he comes at it from a different angle with a new side to the lies. Like, how many sides to this lie do you have? And the reason for the lie is simple. Distract and disorient. He wants to distract you from everything that God has called you to be and has created you to be and is transforming you to be. Keep you from doing that. Keep you from doubting. Hamstring you. Make you ineffective. Make you unfruitful in the kingdom of God. 
Anything, anything to keep you from having joy in Christ. Whatever it takes, just don't let them have any joy. Let them have some comfort. Let them find relief in something or some substance from the pain. But don't let them have any joy. And certainly don't let them have any joy in Jesus. You are here in this room listening to my voice. You would not be here with any interest whatsoever in Jesus if God was not drawing you to him or has not already drawn you to him. And brothers and sisters, the only way you ever come to Jesus is for God to draw you to him. That's what Jesus said earlier, that no one comes to me except the Father draws him to me. Look, in a war setting, you don't waste resources on non-value targets. If someone is a child of the devil, why is God going to try to draw him over? Well, of course, you could say out of his mercy and love. But when he draws someone to him, that's clear evidence he thinks they belong to him and he's decided to claim them as his. You are drawn to Jesus. You're drawn to the word of God. You're drawn to all things that Jesus stands for and believes in and proclaims to us. You're being drawn to it by God, our father and the Holy Spirit. And because you're being drawn to it, that means he's claimed you as his. And that which he claims as his, he keeps. And there's nothing that the devil can do to take you out of his hand. Jesus said that too. Know this with absolute assurance. You are his. And he is yours. And you can know it because you're drawn to him. How does everyone that's drawn to him respond and follow him? No. But you are drawn to him and you are responding to him. Therefore, you are his and he is yours. There's a reason. There's a reason the Bible uses the marriage love language to describe us and our relationship with Christ. As the husband is, is his wife's and the wife is her husband's, so also we are his and he is ours. The union of marriage is intentionally described as a reflection of the union we have with Christ. He is yours and you are his. You can believe it. You can receive it. You can embrace it and you can revel in it. Little, okay, I'll just say, it's really okay to enjoy Jesus. It's really okay to enjoy being in relationship with Jesus and all the joy that comes. It's really okay to enjoy it. In fact, you should. Peter tells us that we should have joy in Christ and enjoy that joy in Christ. And that's my plea and my, 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 well, now I'm starting to sound like my grandson. My, 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 
This is my plea to you, my, my claim, my, my proclamation to you, my hope for you. Believe that you are his and that he is yours and enjoy it because it is worth enjoying it. It is to be enjoyed. And yes, it's better. It's even to be enjoyed better than cheesecake. Okay, so what do we do with all this? I've made this urgent plea to believe that Jesus is yours and you are his and to enjoy him. What now? Well, live like a child of the promise, not a child of the devil. I mean, I know that just sounds cliche-ish because it is. But the thing about cliches is they have enough truth in them to be worth listening to. I mean, part of the sanctification process is working out old ways and old thought systems that are still in our mind and hearts. And those old things that are not really a part of God are those things that are left over and there have to be worked out. That's the part I was talking about, not, you know, living like a child of the promise, not a child of the devil. Secondly, let's just walk with, just walk with Jesus. Just, just walk with him. If you just walk with him, I promise you, I promise you, if you just walk with him, everything's going to work out good. Including the things that need to be worked out, as well as where things go from here in the future you have in front of you. Just start walking with him. And if you have not been walking with him, start doing it now. But if you've been walking with him already, deepen and enrich your walk with Jesus. Okay, I'm going to tell you a shocking and stunning thing here. Truth. It's a truth statement. Shocking and stunning truth. Your walk with Jesus can get better than it is right now. Your relationship with him can get better than it is right now. Your joy that you have in Jesus can even be greater than it is right now. Walk with him and deepen and enrich your walk with him. Spend time with him in the Bible. Ask spiritual questions of other believers. Spend time with other believers. This is a pretty basic concept right here. I'm not speaking anything brand new to you. You're more likely to find encouragement to follow Jesus here than you are at the bar. (laughs) Thank you, Steve. You know, the, and I understand, we say this, we talk about this, we use this phrase, walk with Jesus, and it just seems kind of nebulous and vague, and what do I do, how does it work? It's really the things that we're doing and we do. Spend time in the Word, spend time with other believers, worship together, and listen, I'm... I recognize not everyone's a didactic, purpose-focused, you know, just learner like I am. But I still hold to the philosophical view that you only learn by asking questions. The only way you're ever going to learn anything is to ask questions. Me just trying to transfer theological truth to you and give you knowledge is helpful. But you don't really learn until you ask questions around that knowledge. Ask questions. 
ask him questions in your time with him. Ask other believers. Do have a wee bit of discernment there, a wee bit of discernment about which people you ask, right? And it's these are it's simple. Deepening and enriching our walk with Christ is simple. It's just not easy. It's like being. It's like doing the right thing. It's simple. It's just not easy. Shortcuts are easy. There are no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts in enriching and deepening our walk with Christ. There are no shortcuts to richer and deeper intimacy with our spouses and with our fellow brothers and sisters. There's just there's just no shortcuts. So don't be tempted to fall for those. Oh, shortcuts are a lie. You think, oh, I can take this shortcut to get to where I want to go with Christ and with my brothers and sisters. That's a lie. There are no shortcuts. It's a lie. My hope for you, my earnest hope for you is that you have so much joy in Christ, you can't even believe it. I actually, that's my, I don't hope for you that you just like really know the Bible fantastically well, even better than me, or all these other things that we typically think about as being signs and evidences. I'm with Jonathan Edwards. The number one indicator is joy in Christ. And that's what I hope you have and claim and enjoy and be just, oh, just revel in it. Just revel in how goodness it is to be in him and the sweetness and the savoriness of everything he says. Have joy in him. Because he's got joy in you. Just listen. He's got joy in you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for making us your children. Thank you for everything you give us in Jesus. Thank you for everything we have in Christ. All the joys, all the blessings, all the being that is because we are in him. And thank you for him in us. In Jesus' name. Amen.